is an audio platform created to educate, inform, and empower women to take charge of their physical and mental health. Join Shalana Battle and her occasional guests as they discuss many issues and health topics that concern women. While many health tips and advice will be discussed on this platform by licensed professionals, it should not take the place of seeking help from your own physician or therapist. If you feel that you need professional advice or medical assistance, do not hesitate to contact your provider. Now, let's get to the show. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Eavesdrop Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shalana Battle. I hope that you are having an amazing weekend or had an amazing weekend, depending on when you are listening to this podcast, (laughs) and that you are motivated and inspired by something this past weekend that will help you to have an even more amazing week. Now, this weekend... I had the opportunity of attending a women's empowerment conference that was hosted by Jennifer Wade, who is the CEO of the Woman in Her Curves, LLC. She was also a guest on the show back in season one, episode 14. Long before I started this podcast, I always knew that I would have Jennifer on the show because she was always just so passionate about empowering women to be confident and to love themselves. And I'm just so proud of her and the work that she is doing. So today I want to honor Jennifer and give her her flowers. And if you are in need of inspiration and encouragement, be sure to follow her on Instagram at womeninhercurves. Her Instagram handle will be in the show notes. So definitely after this show, go look in the show notes and follow Jennifer for your daily inspiration and encouragement. So today is Notorious B.I.G.'s birthday. Hey, how many of you remember Biggie? I know he was a big inspiration to a lot of us coming up. Like his music was just something that we all kind of flocked to back in the early mid 90s and uh, I wanted to honor him today by sharing one of his famous quotes and it just happens to be one of my favorite quotes from him and the quote says you know very well who you are don't let them hold you down reach for the stars how many of you all recognize that lyric that lyric comes from one of his songs one of his first songs that made him really famous known as juicy And in this song, there is a verse where Biggie talks about struggling while he was living in poverty and being told by his teachers that he would never amount to be anything. Now, can you imagine being young and being in school and being told by your teachers, the very ones who are supposed to mentor you and educate you and help lead you to success, tell you that you would never amount to be anything. Like, can you imagine that and how discouraging that must be? But later in the song, he talks about how he was able to escape poverty and how he was able to prove those teachers wrong. Now, I am sure that Biggie was able to succeed despite what others said about him because deep down inside, he knew that he was a star. He knew he was meant for greatness. 
When you internalize positive things about yourself, it is very difficult for others to discourage you with their words and their actions. However, if you internalize the negativity of others, your path to success just might be overshadowed by what they believe, they believe to be true about you. And we also have to remember that no matter how great you are, how compassionate, how smart and loving you are, there will always be someone out there who will be negative towards you. There will always be someone out there who is trying to dim your light and dim your shine. But guess what? It has absolutely nothing to do with you. Because when people are in the business of discouraging others, it's often a reflection of how they feel about themselves. So I want you to stop and think about positive attributes that you possess. You may be someone who was great at persevering. You might be someone who was great at accomplishing your goals. You may be someone who was innovative and creative. Whatever it is, sis, reflect on that positive attribute and internalize it. Be true to yourself because once you're confident in your own abilities, you will be able to triumph over the naysayers and any stumbling blocks that come your way and the sky will definitely be your limit. Now for your health tip. <laughs> Today, I would like to talk a little bit about osteoporosis. And osteoporosis is a disease of the bones that causes bones to become weak and very brittle and they may break easily. Osteoporosis usually affects older women, especially after menopause. However, prevention of osteoporosis should start when you are younger. No matter how old you are, you can take steps now to help build healthy bone mass to help prevent severe bone loss later in life. Prevention of osteoporosis is very important because bones that break because of osteoporosis are very difficult to heal and usually it can lead to um, serious health problems and disabilities in older women. So here are some ways that you can prevent osteoporosis. The first thing is get enough calcium and vitamin D each day. The recommended amount of calcium may vary from one person to the next, depending on if you have a deficiency or not. But in general, 1200 milligrams of calcium and 600 to 800 international units of vitamin D daily is recommended for postmenopausal women or women who are done having their period. Weight-bearing activity is also very beneficial in preventing osteoporosis. And weight-bearing activity can come in forms as walking, running, dancing, and lifting weights. Any activity where you have to bear your own weight is very great for uh, preventing osteoporosis. Now, if you smoke cigarettes, you should consider taking steps to quit because smoking raises your risk for broken bones, especially if you smoke later in life. You wanna drink alcohol in moderation. Too much alcohol, just like too much of anything, <laughs> is not good. So too much alcohol may lead to bone thinning. Now, if you are currently taking a birth control known as Depo-Provera, and this is the injection, you wanna make sure that you are taking vitamin D and calcium 
And you wanna try not to stay on this type of birth control long-term. Usually after two years, I'm trying to wean my patients off of Depo-Provera just because it is very rough on the bones. If you are a woman who is no longer having a period, rather it be from natural menopause, from a total hysterectomy with the removal of your ovaries, or if you are young and have premature ovarian failure, you wanna to talk to your doctor about when you should have a bone density scan. And a bone density scan will give you and your doctor an idea of your bone mass and if therapy would be necessary for you. Lastly, if you are on medication that stops your period, if you have a thyroid condition, if you have a history of an eating disorder, or if you are using steroids for a long period of time, talk to your doctor about a bone density to gain an idea of your bone mass. Well, that is your health tip for this week. Now let's get to the show. Today, I'm honored to have Crystal St. John with us on the show. Crystal St. John is a licensed body positivity facilitator. She's a certified restoration therapist and an AFPA certified personal trainer and wellness coach. In honor of Mental Health Awareness Day, she is here to talk about eating disorders. And I chose to talk about eating disorders this week because eating disorders exist more than it is talked about. And I have invited her on the show today to provide more insight on the type of eating disorders that exist the signs and symptoms of eating disorders, and how to approach a conversation about eating disorders with others. We also explore diet culture in our society and how it can negatively influence our mental health. Y'all, I am so excited to have her here today. So without further ado, here is the conversation. Hello, Crystal. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for being here today on The Eavesdrop. It is such an honor actually to have you here today because we are about to dive into an, an important mental health topic that I believe is sometimes overlooked. And that is how our mental health affects our relationships with food. And I thank you for being here today to bring awareness to eating disorders. I'm just happy to be here. Like, absolutely. So excited. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but before we dive into all of that good stuff, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah. So my name is Crystal St. John. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as a life and body wellness, body image coach. And um also a certified personal trainer and Pilates instructor. So I am very passionate and excited um, to be here and to just share my experience and specialization on the topic of eating disorders and relationship with body image and food and mental health and wellness. And um, just very honored to be here as well. Yes. So what led you to even becoming a therapist? Like what led you to mental health? Yeah, I mean, such a long story, but to give you the SparkNotes version of it, I always had a desire to help people. And I was always, you know, growing up, I always loved hearing about people's stories and 
I also myself had some troubles just coming from just kind of trouble in the home early up, early in childhood and had some childhood trauma that led me to find myself in therapy at a pretty young age. About 14 years old is when I experienced the benefit of being in therapy and that inspired me through my own healing to say, I want to help people too. I have such a heart for other people as we often do in this field. We kind of learn from our own journey in healing. <clears throat> and it was more so after college, kind of in that place after finishing your undergraduate degree, you know, you have kind of like a post-college life crisis unless you know exactly what you want to do out in the career field. And I was working with a therapist who just inspired me. And I was like, why would I not go back to that 14-year-old dream when I benefited from this? And so pursued therapy. I also was really passionate about health and wellness. And through my own journey in college, I, you know, flipped a switch because there's and I'll get into this more when we talk about diet culture and everything, but as a young woman in our culture and society today, and with a lot of the work, the pressures I had, I think I took it out on myself and my body and thought I had to perform, had to look a certain way. All those things were tied into stuff. And when I was doing some of my own personal growth and work, I kind of flipped a switch in my own healing and said, no, it doesn't have to be like this. And so I became a personal trainer and also pursued my degree in marriage and family therapy and wanted to really help flip the switch and change the narrative to support others to know that you can have a great relationship with food, exercise, your body, and it also can support your mental health. <clears throat> So let's dive right into this awesome conversation today. Now, there is definitely a difference between eating disorders and disordered eating. I think that I recall ever learning about this in school. They don't really ever tell you about disordered eating. The emphasis is more so on you know, anorexia and bulimia, like those different eating disorders. But there is a big difference between the two. Can you explain the difference between eating disorders and disorder eating? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think the sad part, like as you just mentioned, is eating disorders as a whole, even in my <clears throat> graduate work, is kind of glazed over or just brushed through. It's very vague um, and there's not a lot of like specifics. And I really learned a lot more of that in my work in eating in the field of eating disorders is when I really learned more in the specifics. But to basically, you know, there's many different kinds of eating disorders that actually fit like a diagnostic criteria, but to kind of make it sense in like everyday terms is just when something becomes so chronic or to a degree, the frequency that's impacting your day-to-day -day functioning, your mental health functioning, I've, you know, I would say 99.9% .9 you're going to have anxiety and depression interlinked with an eating disorder because it's disrupting and it's the cyclical process. <clears throat> Disordered eating, which can also be very, I think that's where there's some gray areas with it because our culture, which we'll get into in a little bit, can really glamorize some of the disordered habits and behaviors that can slip you into an actual eating disorder. So it really, you know, some of those disordered eating habits might be like skipping meals, like, you know, restricting yourself to a certain degree for a certain amount of time, but it might just not be so consistent as or as chronic as what an eating disorder entails. 
you know, there's picky eating or like an emphasis on like limiting certain food groups and whatnot. Of course, there's certain people with have dietary specific needs, but when it's really kind of emphasized towards the goal of like either food restriction or like weight loss or management, that can become disordered. And I just say, you know, looking at yourself, like, do you have a sense of peace in your relationship with food? And if you, if you're disrupted at all, that is usually a, dis, a sign of disordered eating, but it may not be to the point where you're meeting like criteria because it's not impacting your day-to-day functioning to a point of, you know, limiting that or maybe causing severe anxiety or depression with that, along with other medical issues, which come along with a lot of eating disorders. So as I listened to your response about what disordered eating was, I thought about intermittent fasting because that's something that some people do a lot of. And then there was this one diet, I don't know how popular it is now, but it was popular some time ago, which was the HCG diet, where you just kind of limit your calories to barely nothing a day. Um, Now, are you saying that people who may get into those diets and basically stay on those diets for a long period of time, or if they have like disordered feelings about themselves when they're on these diets, do you call that disordered eating? And that's a, mm-hmm. that's a taboo topic because right now, and, and I mean, ongoing, the diet culture has been ongoing for a long time, but I know mm-hmm. those are some of the popular uh, diets and trends right now, but technically, and you know, the work in my field really counteracts. And like I said, I've been, I'm a personal trainer. I've worked in the gym and fitness industry, and I know mm-hmm. a lot of what I've seen with eating disorders, but then that kind of in between of like where it, it usually starts with disordered eating that lands you into a space of an eating disorder, mm-hmm. oftentimes is very glamorized or, you know, like pushed on in the culture. And so, mm-hmm. you know, intermittent fasting, unless like, I, I, I mean, I can't say that I'm an expert on it and mm-hmm. I'm sure like I would hope there's a lot of research done, but technically like placing starvation to a consistent level can cause those things or can put you into a slippery slope of falling into that. Mm-hmm. So like I said, it's to each individual to look at, am I at peace? Am I feeling or is this like an increase in my anxiety and my sense? Mm-hmm. How is this affecting my relationship with myself? And that's where I think you have to kind of really take a good look in and, and see like, is this really serving me to the, my best mm-hmm. self and my best wellness physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you know, and not suppressing. I, I advise, and I work with clients in fitness, I advise not to disconnect from all those parts because that is your whole self. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because when you watch these shows, The Biggest Loser or My 600 Pound Lives, like those shows where it's the focus is on losing weight in this community where they maybe consider obese. One of the things or the aspects that they add to their regimen is mental health with the therapist because I think it all kind of ties in together. Your mental health your physical wellness, all that ties into losing weight safely. So I definitely agree. Now let's discuss some of the different types of eating disorders in both women and men. Yeah. And that's an interesting, you know, I will say men tend to be underreported in regards to eating disorders. There's still a lot of research. There's also a lack of treatment accessible to 
men versus women. But eating disorders can, they don't necessarily specify to a gender. You know, anorexia nervosa tends to be more prevalent in women, but that is something that we're finding with more research and more information men struggle with too. And anorexia is when you restrict to a certain degree chronically for weight loss that you are malnourished and underweight. And it's also, like I said, affecting your um, mental health to a point of like excessive worry about your weight. And you're restricting to a point that's very dangerous and losing a certain amount of weight, like, or more of an extreme amount of weight in a shorter period of time. There is an atypical diagnosis, which can be more of the mental aspect where you might have all of the mental traits towards an anorexia diagnosis, but you may not actually have that significant weight loss. So a lot of people, and that can be men and women, and people might misjudge just saying, well, you aren't anorexia, you don't have anorexia because you're not like so thin. And it's, well, no, that's not actually true. Like there's actually a diagnosis for that as well because of the mental excessive worry and like restrictive features that are happening. Uh, bulimia nervosa, men and women as well. That's where there's the binge purge cycle that's frequent, that's happening. And the purging is a compensation to whatever you may have been eating, drawn by a lot of guilt, shame, and excessive worry as well. And purging can be anything from, you know, vomiting, or it could also be uh, laxative use, misuse, as well as excessive exercise or excessive restriction following. And then there's binge eating disorder, which is also men and women. And that's just where there's no compensation behavior, compensatory, but there's, you know, the excessive amount of eating in a shorter period of time or just continuously causing a lot of those emotional levels of distress and guilt and shame. Some, there's also like ARFID, which is very underreported, tends to, it's, it's needs more research and a little bit more specialized treatment because it often is correlated to those that are might be on the spectrum. And ARFID stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. So you might lose an excessive amount of weight, but it's not due to the like body image weight loss drive. It's more so it could be extreme pickiness, texture. And the reason we often see that in those that might be have, have spectrum traits or be on the spectrum is because sometimes there's less texture or specific rigidity with certain food groups or what they like. And that can often, a lot of parents need more education on that too, because a lot of kids might have that and, and parents don't know about it. So uh, that can fall on both men and women. Now, something that's more, it's not necessarily a um, technical diagnosis and it would fall under like per the DSM, which is our book of diagnoses as a therapist standards would go under like the other unspecified eating disorder category. And that's, there's, quite a few, but one that kind of we see between men and women is, well, one orthorexia is kind of that glamorization of like organic or clean eating uh, to a point of, you know, not getting enough nutrition and not nourishing your body appropriately, as well as something we call bigorexia, which again, like I said, they aren't specific to gender. They can fall on either, but bigorexia, which is not technically a medical a true diagnosis, but it's kind of a term that we used to look at when there's men who might have that pressure. Women can too, but it tends to be more in men of that, you know, superhero look like I need to get bigger. I need to look like, like a, a bodybuilder or I need to have almost that superhero and kind of complex. And there's just like, you know, might be overuse of steroids, might be just mm-hmm. eating in very strange cycles like that intermittent fasting or some of the other 
dieting culture that might just serve to say like, well, you can bulk up this way. And it's like, well, is this causing a lot of distress on and harm on your body, but also your psyche? Yeah. And so with these different disorders, I can really um, imagine that it's hard to, for loved ones to identify it. Because just like you mentioned, with one of the disorders that is hard to pinpoint in kids, um, because kids are naturally picky eaters. So what are some of the red flags for family members and perhaps healthcare providers to look out for? I mean, watching the tendency and how frequent that pickiness might be happening. Some of the behaviors you might notice in your loved one is kind of pushing food around the plate to avoid eating very highly emotional or sensitive. If there's any questions about food or body or weight, or if you're asking like, did you eat? And like, let's say they just burst out in tears or might get very angry and defensive. Those are some red flags. Leaving the table right after eating pretty often and maybe using the restroom or going somewhere else and um, avoiding meals or social events that have food. And you kind of notice this consistency, obvious, you know, like rapid weight loss in a short period of time with some of those concerns. If you're feeling uneasy and that you feel like there's like some, something going on more often than not there, there's something as well as just sometimes there's like a fixation on like one type of food or also like, you know, just an over-emotional attachment to food. So maybe it's, you know, like I think a binge eating disorder where it can just become like, this is my comfort. I've had clients who tell me, you know, it's my safe place or like I feel no judgment there because maybe they've been harmed in relationships. So like there's this emotional attachment that's a little bit beyond just the pleasure of food that could be some yellow red flags. Now, when you think about healthcare providers, what are some of the physical findings? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. obviously like there's specific, like, like significant weight loss in a short period of time. Osteoporosis tends to be common with anorexia because of the malnutrition. I've had clients as young as like 15 that have shown signs to that. And that's really dangerous with, you know, development and bone health, brittle hair, hair falling, hair loss, hair growth on the body, because you know, our body, you know, when we're in the womb, we have that lanugo hair to keep us warmer. It's the same process. Your body is responding saying, I'm not nourished enough to keep my body temperature warm enough. And so hair growth and random spots might happen. Um, teeth decay or electrolyte imbalances for healthcare providers. Also looking at, you know, vitals and is there a significant drop when you sit to stand and that partnered with low body weight and looking at a very low heart rate is concerned because one of the scary risks, medical risks, like there's a lot, but between the electrolyte imbalance and then um, the malnourishment, the heart can just go into heart cardiac arrest. And so if your heart's overworking at some point, it could just say, I need to stop. And then also maybe some scarring on the hand from purging or also on the esophagus as well. And what are some of the statistics? You talked about some of the most common type of eating disorders like um, anorexia and bulimia. What are the statistics with women and men? Yeah, so Mm. one thing that is an interesting fact about anorexia is it's linked to one of the highest diagnoses to linked with suicide, but also the highest rate of death 
in mental illness. And so a lot of people don't know that, that anorexia has the highest death rate or one of the highest death rates in mental health and mental diagnoses. And like we had said earlier, it's so, there's just uninformation. Like there's a lot of lack of information out there. And so it's much more serious than just like, oh, my loved one is just going on this crazy diet or something. It's, it's definitely very serious on the brain. And I know that it's estimated that 8 million Americans have an eating disorder. Like I said, a lot of males are underreported, so it's just ongoing research. Uh, but they do say 7 million women and 1 million men. And then 1 in 200 American women suffer from anorexia. So like I said, more women um, than men tend to report anorexia. Uh, 2 in 3 in 100 American women suffer from bulimia. And an estimated 10 to 15% of people with anorexia or bulimia are men. And again, that's kind of why I keep overemphasizing this, but a lot of men haven't, are, it's underreported, so it could be higher than that. But like I said earlier, eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of mental illness. And like I said, quite often anorexia and suicide can be correlated, unfortunately. Five to 10, anorexia tends to be the one with the higher percentage of loss, where five to 10 could die within 10 years of contracting the, the disease, and 18 to 20%. This is a sad statistic, but 18 to 20% will be dead after 20 years old and only 30 to 40% ever fully recover. So it's one of the hardest disorders to really get out of if it's been such a chronic issue. And like I said, the mortality rate is 12 times higher than the death of all causes of death for females. So it's just a very serious uh, disorder. Now, I know just approaching anyone about their mental health can be really taboo and, and very hard to discuss. I even find that in healthcare, when I'm taking care of some, some of my patients, it's hard to ask questions about their eating habits if you suspect that someone has an eating disorder. How can we as a community, whether it's family members, friends, loved ones, patients, and providers like approach someone who they feel might have a eating disorder uh, safely to not offend um, the person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always think of, I love partnering these two words, especially in my practice is grace and truth and not being afraid to speak truth and light. If there's, if there's a concern, because, you know, you could actually be almost perpetuating or contributing to the issue with the avoidance. And, you know, all of these disorders are linked to some kind of deep pain. And, you know, there's, there's a need there. So it is tricky. You know, some may not be ready for the help. And that's a big part of the issue. And that's a big part of why it's so serious and scary with what I just discussed with the statistics. But approaching with compassion understanding that this is a space of coming from pain. And I always say approaching with curiosity, but expressing and voicing your concern is what I always encourage. I know each situation maybe, you know, has its own individual uh, issues and matters and whatnot, but, you know, far be it from me, at least in my values to avoid because of discomfort where someone is really suffering and inside and really struggling that I would not be willing to just ask and say, I see you and are you okay? And so some ways to approach that is just, you know, if it's someone you love and you have a relationship with, it's, it's much easier because you can just say, Hey, I, I love you. 
I can't help but say that I'm just concerned. Is everything okay? I've noticed this. And just going with like an openness to like be curious to let them have their voice. You may get pushback and defensiveness, but that's, you know, like I said, far be it for me to avoid that just because of the discomfort. But it is hard, you know, when you may see a stranger, like I frequent a workout studio and there's a young girl there that I was really concerned about, but I don't know her, but I'm also a professional. I can really see and understand this pretty quickly. So I reached out to the manager. I, you know, it's uncomfortable, but I know the risks and thankfully that manager is in touch with that particular individuals like care support system. So I was just thankful to know that someone at least sees it. But yeah, I always just say, you know, think of having grace and truth partnered together, be it in a loving way, but like, don't avoid it. I like the fact that you said don't avoid it because a lot of us do avoid it because it's a hard topic to bring up because you're scared. You don't want to offend the person. You don't want them to think that you feel um, some type of way about them, especially if it's someone who you care for. But I agree with you. I think avoidance is more detrimental than hurting feelings, quote unquote. And I, and another thing is being persistent because the first time around, you may get pushback, like you said, but I think it's important to keep asking, to keep showing concern as well. Yeah, too. and that's where for loved ones, if you're in a relationship mm-hmm. with someone that you're really concerned don't give up hope and and you will likely be met with a lot of resistance because you know in a sense it's just like an addiction if you're not ready you might be trying to protect it but you're really hurting that's why you're holding on to something so hard and so I just you know say seek professional support in that and just don't lose hope and don't give up because they need you yes for sure so Just briefly, what are some of the therapies for common eating disorders? Yeah, so DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, has been shown to be one of the most effective. So in common, commonly in treatment centers and also with specialized professionals, DBT is going to be focused in on. That's because commonly with eating disorders, there might be personality disorder diagnosis or traits, which DBT has Mm -hmm. also been shown to be really effective for, but also with that rigidity and thinking and the behavioral aspect, having some skills to help redirect these maladaptive behaviors is really important. So, and you know, for those not in the psychology world, they call it like psychobabble, but dialectical (laughs) behavioral therapy basically stands for dialectical is like holding two opposing things at once. So learning, I don't have to be black and white in my thinking. I can be both happy and sad at the same time. They can coexist. I can, you know, hold these things together. There's also CBT, which is similar, uh, but not as specific in the way that DBT tends to focus on the skills work and the mindfulness and kind of getting in touch with your body and working through the emotional dysregulation. ACT therapy, I love ACT. It's one of my trainings and that's acceptance commitment therapy. That can be, so a lot of these are very behavioral oriented, but those have been shown to be kind of the most specialized or you know specialized modalities that tend to have the most research with support in these areas, along with just a lot of compassion and 
you know, person-centered therapy, I think is helpful. Okay. And what are some resources for family members or people who may be listening to this podcast today who may need help with someone or themselves with eating disorders? Yeah. So there are many, but I will, um, for time's sake, just share some like my top three. So Nourish is a book by Heidi Schouster. And I, they're out there listening. I apologize if I put your last names, but that's a really good book for kind of healing and finding peace with your relationship with your body, food, and your mental health. Intuitive Eating, which also has an intuitive eating workbook by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Reich is a great, great book. I just recommend that for in general because understanding how when you really have a healthy relationship with your food and your intuition and just your appetite, you can have a really whole healthy relationship with your body and food and you don't have to kind of follow all the restrictive diet culture and things that can be pretty regimented. And then body kindness. She, Rebecca Stritchfield, Stritchfield is a registered dietitian and uh, I love it because it has a lot of great skills and practices to help the relationship you have with food, but also specific to the body. And I think that's just helpful for anyone who might be struggling with body image or might be recovering or trying to recover from an eating disorder. Um, but all of these, I think, are also just great for the general public as well, not just eating disorders specifically. Yes, they sound like awesome books, and I'm definitely going to look into at least one of them for sure. And for everyone listening, uh, we'll definitely have these in the show notes. Now, you did mention diet culture, and this is our last question. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're doing so awesome. (laughs) Yeah, so um, you did mention diet diet culture earlier in our discussion, and I wanted to know, in your opinion, how can we find the balance when there is such a heavy societal influence on how we should look, what diets we should be on? You know, there's just such a really heavy societal influence. So how can we find a healthy balance? Yeah, and it's a tough one. You know, it's it's waters to navigate. I think to each individual, you have your own journey and relationship with your body and health, but that culture is a multi-billion dollar culture. There's a lot of business behind it. So I always just want to emphasize that, you know, the diet trends, all of the images that we see are very highly focused on money, like the, the culture to feed a business. So just having that awareness, I think is key to just know how to be mindful. I'm not saying it's all bad. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look good, feel good. Your body is your your vessel, it like carries you. It's, you know, it's what you have, you have your body every day of your life. And so I think it's important to want to feel good, but in a way that like supports what your body's designed to do, which is to take care of you. Every cell, I, unless, you know, there's obviously things that happen like health disease and issues that um, can come up, but what your body's designed to do is to take care of you. And so we need to mentally reciprocate that relationship to take care of ourselves. And, you know, when you're doing act, like when you're exercising or when you're going on it, if it's a diet or an eating plan or whatnot, just looking at what is this relationship and what's the end goal here? Is this, you know, something that is just like rigid and is it impacting your level of peace and your sense of well-being? 
then maybe there's a question there maybe to look at, like, is this really what I want? Because more likely than not, if it's something that you feel so like punitive towards and restricted in, it's probably not going to sustain. And that's where diet culture has a high fail rate because of that. And so there is a truth in that you can find joy in these things and still be healthy and fit and like take care of yourself, but not be constrained by some of these things that might just be stealing your joy. Most definitely. Now, is there a quote that you have or affirmation? And what is that quote? And how has it influenced your life and your career? So I do have a verse that just continues to support me in my work, which is let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reach a harvest, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And that just, you know, like I was saying earlier, and that's a scripture says so Galatians 6, 9, that supports, you know, like sometimes things might be just seeming like I'm not helping, I'm not doing an effective job or something, but like, don't give up, like trust in the process, trust in like reaching out and love past those hardships. And that's in my work, especially in like the eating disorder work as well, but also with the other issues I've seen, it gives me hope. And then I love Eleanor Roosevelt, loved her since I was little, just her influence as a woman, that's a strong woman. And uh, she uh, says, we gain strength and courage and confidence by each experience in which we really stop to look fear in the face. And that's Eleanor Roosevelt. I just love that because, you know, fear can often keep us in places we don't even realize aren't real or are holding us back. And if we're willing to look at it, and that's obviously in my work as a therapist, I support people to look at these things and not be afraid. You can really find freedom and strength and courage to, to grow from these things. Yeah, those are two very inspirational quotes. And your your Bible verse happens to be one of my favorite as well, too, because it is something that keeps you going, even when you don't see the end result when you're on your journey, it, it, it helps you to keep your eyes focused. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. So where could everyone find you? What is the best way to follow you, reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is clearlydefinedandembodied.com. I know we'll post that in the show notes. Uh, you can also always email me. My name, my email is crystal, that's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L, saint, or S-T dot J-O-H-N-L-M-F-T at gmail.com. And then on Instagram, I'm at clearlydefinedwellness. So those are some ways you can kind of connect with me and I'm happy to connect or offer any resources or support that I can to anyone interested. Okay, awesome. This episode has been so informative. And I thank you so much for being here today, just to give us some knowledge about eating disorders and how we can just have a better relationship with food. I just think learning to have a really positive relationship with food is the best way to go before you try to go on any type of of diet. And so I'm glad you were here to kind of give us guidance on that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I I'm so honored and thankful. I hope you enjoyed Crystal and I pray that you were inspired and learned something new. If you are enjoying the podcast, be sure to rate the show. 
Rating the show will make the eavesdrop visible to more women who enjoy podcasts about health and wellness. Also, spread the word about the podcast to other women you know. To stay updated with the eavesdrop news, you may follow the podcast on Instagram at the real eavesdrop underscore podcast or visit the website at www.theeavesdroppodcast.com. If there is a topic that you would like to be explored on the eavesdrop, be sure to reach out to me through the website or email me at drshalonabattle at gmail.com. Well, until the next episode, be well, be whole, and be blessed. Bye.